Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, family. So good to see you. So good to see Sue here. And um, I just want to tell you uh, what is going to happen at the end of the service at this altar is the most important part of the service. So don't cut out early. Amen? Okay. Hold on. Of course, this thing froze on me. Ah, there we go. So if we could put that slide of the tabernacle up there. If you remember, uh, last week, we ended the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, we're going through the Bible again, by the way, but this year with a different angle, with a different focus. This year, we're going to talk about Christ sightings, Holy Spirit sightings throughout the books of the Bible. Okay, so keep your ears and your eyes open for Christ sightings. But this is a visual of where we left off in the last chapter of Exodus. It talks about all the furnishings of the temple according to God's design, were created. The temple was set up at the foot of Mount Sinai. And all the Israelite camps, uh, I mean, tribes were encamped around it. It was the center place of worship. And it was the place where God's spirit dwelt. If you notice, there's fire. It looks like there's fire. Well, in Exodus, we learned as they were led out of captivity, In Egypt, they were slaves for 400 years. And as they were led out of captivity, the Lord, the presence of the Lord went before them. And by day, it was a cloud that led them. And by night, it was a fire that led them. And it was the presence of the the Lord that was represented. Well, now it's abiding or resting above the tabernacle. And that's a representation to all the tribes, all the Israelites, so that they would know that God's presence was among them. So in this book, you know, so far they've been journeying. They've set this up, the law, you know, God uh, revealed the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So in this book, there's no geographical movement at all. The book ends and they're still there at the foot of the mountain. God has a point, and, and you could think about it as a godly pause. It was a, a, just a little parenthesis, I mean, a, a little comma in their journey. And you have to remember, they spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt, and they were subjected to false worship. They had no record of how to worship God correctly, and they were modeling themselves after the way the Egyptians worshipped their many gods. And the Egyptians, of course, they had a polytheistic uh, philosophy where they had gods for everything. And it was distorted. Their view of how to worship the one true God 
was severely distorted. And they were affected by the cultural norms, just like we are. So we can see this in their behavior. Look what happened when they thought that Moses was taking a little too long up there on the mountain. What did they do? They reverted right back. They defaulted right back to what the culture did. And they formed and fashioned a calf with their own hands. And they started to bow down and worship that. So during this pause of Leviticus, they're learning how to worship the one true God. Now, God wouldn't tolerate idolatry. He wouldn't tolerate the morality of the Egyptians and the way they sinned. So this book, the Levitical book, is written to the Levites. That's where Leviticus, the word, comes from. It was written to the Levites because they were going to head out and instruct. This was an instruction book on how to worship the one true God. Okay, they were going to re-educate the people. They were going to regroup. They were going to deprogram. They were going to clear up their minds from the cultural indoctrination that all those years the people were subjected to, hundreds of years. So the job of the priests, where the, well, the Levites were part, the priests were part of the Levitical tribe. Every priest was a Levite. But not every Levite was a priest. Some of them had to do with um, taking care of the tabernacle and so forth. But the Levites had to assist the people in worship. And the people had to learn or be informed on how to live a holy life. So really, the book is a guide. right? Think of it as a guidebook. And a lot of it had to deal with sacrifices. There was... A, a time where, uh, of course, sacrifices was nothing new. We know when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what happened? They were naked and they were ashamed, and God provided a covering. Do you remember how? He killed an animal, and that shed blood of that animal covered for their sin because they t- he took the animal skins and covered their nakedness. And that was the first sacrifice. And we know it's not anything new, um, but even in um, Cain and Abel, we we look in Genesis, we see Genesis 4, uh, in the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from, from some of the firstborn of the flock. And the Lord looked with favor upon Abel's offering because it was from the flock. So this idea of sacrifice was nothing new, but the book of Leviticus was really the first written instruction book on the proper way of worship and sacrifice. And there's five of them. We're not going to get into detail today. There's so much in each one of those. We could probably spend a five-week series just talking about the different offerings. But there's five of them. There's the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. But today what we're going to do is we're going to focus trying to find the the Holy Spirit sightings, right, the Christ sightings. We're going to focus on a few key things about the offerings, okay? And the first thing I want you to understand is they were completely voluntary. 
the people came voluntarily to bring their offerings before the Lord, and they would have to bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle. And after the priest would receive it from them, he would offer a sacrifice for his own sin, and then he would offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people from what they had given them. And there's a lot of, you know, burnt offering. Do you ever wonder why the burnt offering? I mean, I like barbecue, right? Everybody loves barbecue. But that's not the reason. The burnt offering was so much more significant. You had to take a a burnt offering. It, It had to be a male. It could be a goat. It could be a lamb. It could be a calf, a bull. But that offering had to be without blemish, without deformity, without defect. And it had to be completely consumed by the fire. But before that, the priest would take his hands and he would lay it on the animal. And the sin would be transferred from the people onto the animal. That's what it represented. So that when that animal was sacrificed, it was transferred. Everybody say transfer. Okay, we remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? There had to be a covering. There had to be a sacrifice to cover their sin. Well, in this way, the priest was symbolizing that there was a transfer through this sacrificial animal of their sin. Of course, it would only cover temporarily. It wasn't for all time. It wasn't uh, stopping any final judgment. And how many times do you think they had, whenever they sinned, They had to bring an offering voluntarily. How often do you think they did that? Every day? How many times a day do you sin in thought, word, or deed? Right? Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here's the first Christ sighting I want you to see. The substitutionary sacrifice was a prefigure of Christ, what he was going to do. And we can read that Christ, he he would be the atoning sacrifice once and for all. And we read this in Hebrews 10. It says, day after day, the priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus Christ, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit testifies about that to us. One-time sacrifice the spotless lamb of God without blemish, without deformity, without sin. He was sacrificed for you, for your sin, 
He covers, he forgives every sin, past, present, and future. Look what else it says in Hebrews. Hebrews 9, 12, uh, 11 says this. But when Christ came as high priest, he wasn't only the sacrifice, he was the high priest. Of the good things that are already here, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not part of his creation. He didn't enter by the blood, the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. That was the sacrifice that was foreshadowed thousands of years before in the book of Leviticus, talking about the sinless, blemish-free Lamb of God, a Christ sighting. When we think about that word in, in the sacrifice, it says the Lord was pleased with the fragrance, the aroma well, the, bur- the, the word burnt offering actually means going up as a sweet aroma onto the Lord, a pleasant smell. And it wasn't just, mmm, that's barbecue. It was, wow, that's a broken and contrite heart who is sacrificing his best. Don't forget, they had to sacrifice their flock. I mean, that was valuable. And they were offering that to the Lord. And the Lord's saying, that was a sweet aroma to me because I judge the heart. It's a committed and repentant heart behind the sacrifice that I see, and that's what made it acceptable. That was more significant than the sacrifice even. And I'm reminded of the woman with the widow's might. Do you remember her? It was a story about this woman. She was a poor woman. She was watching all the rich people put in their money in the offering. She didn't have much, but let's read it. The Lord saw her heart. It was a sweet aroma to him. Mark, it says this, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents and calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasure than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. Oh, that was a sweet fragrance unto the Lord, an aroma of worship. Now, some offerings that I wanted to talk about were the grain offerings. Something I want to point out, about, point out about the grain offering is just like the livestock that was presented had to be without blemish, without any deformity, the grain couldn't have any additive in it. It had to be pure. You, couldn't, you could add oil and salt because both of those preserve, okay, and purify. But you couldn't add leaven, Leaven is what they added to their dough so that it would rise. Anybody here a baker? You like to bake? You put yeast in, in your mixture, and it spreads, and it makes the dough rise? Well, they couldn't add that, and they couldn't add honey to make it sweet because both those leaven spreads and infects and affects the entire loaf, and leaven in the Bible most often represents sin. 
And honey, the same thing, would cause fermentation in the batch. Also spreading throughout the whole thing, representing sin. So even the grain offering had to be pure. It had to be without blemish. Aaron, he was the high priest, and he presented the offerings on behalf of himself, like I said first, and then on behalf of the people. And when Aaron made the first animal sacrifices at the foot of Mount Sinai, it was like his first on-the-job experience, right? His first offerings on the job. The Lord's manifestation showed in a very unique way. Let's read about it in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 5. It says, they took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Verse 8. So Aaron came to the altar. He slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His sons handed them the blood. He splashed it against the sides of the altar. Verse 15, Aaron then took the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sin offering and slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering as he did the first one. Verse 22, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having received the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. Remember what was above the tent of meeting, right? The fire and the cloud, right? When they came out, they blessed the people. Here's what I want you to see. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat offerings on the altar. And when all the people saw this, They shouted for joy, and they fell face down. Look at their reaction. There was some holy expectation that the Holy Spirit, that the presence of God would come and meet them as they did everything that was prescribed, everything that was instructed for them to do. They waited on the Lord, and he didn't disappoint them. The glory of the Lord appeared. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the glory of the Lord. We see it happen. Look at uh, Pastor Carlos talked about the burning bush. That was the glory of the Lord. We see it on the top of Mount Sinai when the law was given. There was thunderous clouds. In the the rock that was split and water flowed out. That was the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord appeared and they rejoiced. That was the manifestation of the presence of God dwelling with them. He was revealing himself. He was revealing his holiness, his truth, his wisdom, (laughs) everything that filled the tabernacle. The manifestations were with them. And we can see a God sighting here, 
a Christ sighting because we look who more perfectly expressed the glory of God than Jesus in John 1. It says, the word became flesh. He made his dwelling among us and we have seen his what? His glory. The one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And we're going to see his glory again. Are you ready? When the second coming comes, in Matthew 24, it says, immediately after, after the distress of those, those days, it's talking about the tribulation time. The nearness of that is so near. It says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken, and then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud shout, with a loud call, and he will gather his elect from the four, four winds from one end to the other. There's a time of gathering when the glory of the Lord appears again. Further in Matthew 25, it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. It's a time of separation. Now, his glory, will you be like the people in Leviticus, anxiously awaiting with hopeful expectation that the glory of the Lord would appear? Or will it be an awesome dread, a horror that the end would come? How will you look upon the glory of the Lord? But getting back to Leviticus, that's a little aside. I want to read these verses again, Leviticus 9. Moses and Aaron, they went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. The Lord appeared to all the people, and the fire came out from the presence of the Lord. He consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when they saw this, they shouted for joy. His manifest presence, they were assured that he was dwelling among them, and he was accepting their offering. Fire. Fire miraculously signified that God accepted their offering. And that's why the people fell down in worship and in joy. It was because they knew he was a praiseworthy God. Amen. So the fire of God was a manifested manifestation. I want to read to you from this book. Just a couple pages, and I'll preface it with part of the story. The name of the book is Encountering the Holy Spirit in Every Book of the Bible. And the story goes, it's the author's father was a young man in a small church in the country. And um, they had a time, a season of a great move of the Holy Spirit. I mean, people were healed, uh, delivered, salvations, mighty works of God were happening. But on this particular night, said at one service in particular, the people of God were worshiping in an atmosphere bathed in God's glory. There was a rich, invisible weight that had settled upon the sanctuary, and a joy-filled energy pulsed about the air. 
exalting the name of Jesus through song and jubilant, people danced around the tiny building. The worship was exciting, but not chaotic. It was moving, but not driven by emotion. There was a true touch of heaven upon that place. The spirit was in progress when something strange happened. There was a pounding on the back door. Someone was knocking persistently, and that persistent knock went unanswered for a few seconds before the doors were bumped open. The violent sound of the doors hitting the walls was loud enough to draw the attention of some of the worshipers. I love that. Some of the worshipers. Other words, other words, worshipers were so lost in his presence, they didn't even care about the noise. But the violent sound of the doors got their attention, rushing through the doors with axes in their hands and gear attached to their bodies. A group of firemen entered the room, bewildered. They glanced around the room and slowly began to relax their readied stances. One of the church members approached them to see what had brought them to the church. The firemen explained the reason for their visit. While the church was worshiping, neighbors began to call the fire department. People around the neighborhood saw smoke and flames coming out of the church building. The church is on fire, the people reported. However, when the firemen entered the building, they saw no visible source of flames and smoke. I don't see any fire here, said the firemen. And one of the church members replied, yes, there's a fire here, but it can't be put out by any man. It's the fire of the Holy Ghost. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit. See, it's not a force or an energy. The fire of God isn't a passion or an emotion. It isn't even revival. It's the person who dwells among us, the spirit of the living God. Hallelujah. As we worship with all sincerity and repentance, the Holy Spirit does supernatural things. When we obey with practical earthly things, we will see the manifestation of the presence of God. It's kind of a partnership. You know, you saw in Leviticus, it was the priest and the Holy Spirit, right? But look what it says in the New Testament. Here's a Christ sighting. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy today. You are the priesthood. You are standing and offering with a clean, with clean hands and a pure heart, with humility and sincerity and confession and repentance. You are the royal priesthood that you come before him in that prescribed way. Will he accept your offering? And more importantly, at this altar, will he display his manifest presence in your life? What's interesting in the book of Leviticus, a little bit earlier, the priests were given strict instructions concerning the fire. In chapter 6, it says this, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. 
Every morning, the priest is to add firewood, arrange the burnt offering on the fire, and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. The fire must not ever go out. These instructions were very clear. Never extinguish the fire. Burn it continually, indefinitely. And here's what I want you to notice. The priests were never told to start the fire. They were just told to keep it going. The fire that burned on the altar came directly from God. And they just had to follow the instructions and keep it going. And remember, I, sh- I showed you, you are the priest now. When the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you, that's the spark. That's the fire. That's the indwelling. What are you doing to keep that fire alive? What are you doing to maintain the flame? Those of you who become his child and accept Christ for forgiveness of your sin, receive that gift by faith, can have that fire. The fire is God's presence. The Shekinah glory we saw on the altar can live in you. Hallelujah. Think about that. It's an ongoing presence of God. You know, the ongoing fire represented to them that God was going to dwell with them continually. The Holy Spirit living in you can represent that God will dwell with you continually. God didn't ask them to start the fire. They weren't capable of starting a heavenly fire. They couldn't start the kind of fire that was needed. The fire that was started was sovereignly sparked. John the Baptist pointed to the fire. In Matthew 3, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with what? With the Holy Spirit and fire. In the book of Acts, we know Jesus instructed the disciples before he ascended. He said, go and wait for the fire. Go and wait, because then you'll have power to be my witnesses. And let's see what happens. We see a representation of God's manifest presence in chapter 2 of the book of Acts as they waited. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Whoo, hallelujah. It was the fire. It was the fire of God. It was his manifest presence. God started the fire in them. And of course, you know the story. They went out to the streets and they spoke with other tongues. People heard them. Many thousands were saved. It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit fire that enabled them to do that. Has God started that fire in you? Do you want to fan the flame? Hallelujah. 
it's not a matter of getting him to come to us. It's a matter of us going to him. Did you get that? I want you to see that. It's not a matter of getting him to come to us. It's a matter of us going to him. Will you come to the altar today? Do you realize if it wasn't for the sacrifice of the perfect lamb of God, he was destined to die for your sins, that you would have suffered all eternity in hell. I know people don't preach about hell, a place of torment and separation from God. But that's what, if you don't receive him, that's your destination. God wants to send fire today. He wants to send fire in hearts that never received him. And he wants to fan the flame in those who have. And the truth is God sends forth heavenly flames of influence. Sometimes it's response to the cries of the people who stand at his altar. And sometimes it's just divine timing. Or it could be a blend of the two. But I'm asking you to cry out to him today. There's certain occasions where God's sovereignty pours. He pours out his Holy Spirit in a fresh and unique way. And I believe he wants to do that for every single person here. And for our church as a whole. We've seen awakenings and we've been part of uh, revivals and outpourings in the past. And sometimes it falls in just, just regions. But when God sends revival, he's looking for a church to partner with. He's looking for a church that's busy. Hallelujah. Sometimes God is just waiting for you. See, when the faithfulness of the church, and that's who you are, connects with the sovereignty of God, true revival happens. The Bible says no one comes to the Father except the Holy Spirit draw them. And I believe he's doing that now. If you feel a drawing of the Holy Spirit at any time, I want you to get out of your seat and come to the altar. And here's the truth about a move of the Holy Spirit. You can't cause it on your own power, but you can receive Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for your sin. And as you do that, the spark of the Holy Spirit begins. You stand before him in a posture of surrender. Now, those of you who haven't received Christ, is there anybody here? Stand to your feet. If you've never had that spark of the Holy Spirit, stand to your feet now. Giving you opportunity. Amen. Thank you. Stand to your feet. And if you've already received the spark, if that fire has already started in you, remember I told you what's going to happen at the altar today is the most important thing. The priests were told to keep the fire burning. They were instructed to keep it alive, to fan the flame. That's right. 
get out of your seats when you feel led. <clears throat> we only do what's the natural thing to do. He tells us to surrender. Surrender to the altar, and God will do the rest. He will release the Holy Spirit. He will move when he chooses to move. Once you lay down the sacrifice at the altar. The Holy Spirit will honor your surrender. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And that's your proper worship. That's your true worship. Do you want to offer your true and proper worship? Come. Get out of your seat and gather together at the altar and worship him. He deserves your sacrifice of praise. Maybe it's the first time the Lord opened your understanding about the bad news of your sin nature and your inevitable destination. But the Lord is saying, I want to forgive you. You deserve condemnation. There's nothing you could do by your own efforts. You're unable to live a perfect life. I hung on the cross that I was the sacrifice for you. I was that transfer animal. Your sins were transferred to me when you received me. He paid for your sins. I see so many people seated. And I know you want to get up and you want to walk to the altar and offer your body in praise. As we sing this song, we are going to pray together and worship together. And then quietly, what I would like you to do is after you sacrifice yourself onto the Lord and spend your time in his presence, rekindling that fire, I want you to take the elements back to your seat as a final act of worship, and quietly bring it back to your seat. Of course, we know the shed blood is, is the, the wine, and the bread represents his broken body. So come, come to the altar and ask him to accept your offering, a living sacrifice. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.